Hi, this is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed Podcast. longer I do this work, I realize that we have created a lot of structures that make us difficult to trust, even though people are told to come to places that educate for help. Uh, I've been thinking about this idea for a while, and actually in looking back through my notes, I uh, realized last April I'd written about that exact issue after hearing a, a very excellent presentation from a, a former colleague of mine on a slightly different topic, but that uh, related very well. Um, I think this poverty work means that we we need to be partners um, rather than tellers in a lot of the work, and uh, this this writing was a little bit about that. So I'd like to share today something called Poverty-Informed Practice in Higher Education, Would You Trust You? I had the opportunity to present at a local conference last Friday. It was a public health summit that was brave enough to take on the intersection of health, racism, and poverty. My presentation went fine, but I was floored by an earlier presentation by a colleague. Shondell is a powerful and effective speaker on race, and one of his themes was the idea of, would you trust you? Shondell's lens was on racially diverse communities being reluctant to engage in the healthcare system because of a pretty negative history. Think about the Tuskegee experiments and those sort of things. Now given that history and myriad other examples, he asked if you were in the other's chair, would you trust people like you? The parallels to the work we're doing with poverty struck me at a visceral level. Dr. Donna Beagle often shares that students from generational poverty have about an 11% chance of succeeding in college without poverty-informed support. And so, if someone was pushing education at you as a solution to changing your reality, but you knew at some level that 9 out of 10 fail in the current situation, would you trust you? When we began our poverty work with what we called our no audit, it was many it was in many ways an effort to regain trust, although I wouldn't have labeled it that way then. We started to take a look around and realized we were sending so many signals inadvertently that caused students to feel suspect or unwelcome. It was shocking, really. I certainly wouldn't have trusted somewhere that made the assumptions we seemed to be making. There were signs on locked doors that said staff only. And then sometimes on inner doors, we made those signs red, I guess just in case you got past the outer locked door and didn't notice this door was locked as well. It might seem humorous or even like a small example, but I think it's symbolic of a fundamental problem with not being poverty informed. We build systems on the wrong assumptions, and the assumptions that are implied erode trust with the very people we're trying to connect with. So when we started changing our signs to be more welcoming, we weren't just being nice. We were changing our signals. Instead of signaling, we assume if we don't have warnings, you will make the wrong choices. Would you trust someone who thought about you that way? So again, when we changed the signs, we were stating that we want you here and we want to help, not judge. It was respectful and was a small way of showing we believe someone who can solve the crisis of poverty can certainly be trusted in our space. This question of what you assume about people permeates our poverty-informed work. I've been stunned at how many policies are built to prevent abuse more than they're built to promote success. 
I've stolen a line from Kara Crowley at Amarillo College with my own little twist, and I, I, at that presentation I used it when I told the group about questions that arise when I start putting out food for students. I said people ask me three questions. How do we make sure the right people get the food? Two, what if people take too much? And three, what if we run out? Now channeling Kara, I said my answers were one, I don't care, two, I don't care, and three, get more food. Take a moment and listen to the questions behind those questions. There are assumptions that people can feel. There are assumptions people shouldn't get too much too fast. I'm pretty sure we don't hold ourselves to the same standard. Would you trust someone who thought you had to have resources rationed to you? A poverty-informed approach tries to identify and surface assumptions which reduce trust so we can choose actions that build trust and change assumptions. This idea of what is your basic assumption about human behavior should fuel discussions about policy and procedures. Do your policies support the students you have, or do they look for opportunities to punish? When pondering the question of whether you would trust someone like you, I was drawn to an article that came across my desk. It was an excellent piece from an educator wondering if he could have done more to support a student he described as vulnerable to the slightest of breezes. It made me think of a similar sentiment I read in The Atlantic when they profiled Amarillo College and they quoted President Russell Lowry Hart saying, it isn't enough, we're not doing enough, we have to do more. Now besides stealing that quote from my LinkedIn profile, it's caused me to continually question how much is enough. I like to think my children trust me, in part because I would do whatever I could do to get them what they need. If I want to earn the trust of our students, am I willing to go down those same paths? As I challenge that health summit, are we willing to be uncomfortable? Because the people we are asking to trust us are very uncomfortable and choosing to come to us anyway. While not better signs and free food are great places to start, are there other actions that demonstrate we are worthy of their trust? When I started poverty-informed work at my last college, I asked my division to adopt a mantra. That mantra was, every barrier that can be removed should be removed. It was a powerful shift for us, but I still got questioned on it. Sometimes it was pretty direct, like when someone told me it felt like welfare. And sometimes it was more subtle, like when people questioned whether we could sustain something or if we had a process fully developed for rationing our resources. I've even been asked if I have an assessment process to see if there is a benefit to feeding students. Seriously, I've been asked about the efficacy of eating. There are assumptions of scarcity throughout those questions, as well as a fairly dark view of human nature. I'm generally a pretty positive person, but I will admit to getting worn down on occasion. And if I'm perfectly honest, sometimes it's me asking those questions. I'm not sure how much is enough, and I'm not sure how much we can do. But I think we must do what we can, and what we can do is probably a lot more than we have done historically. Like anyone else, I have to challenge my assumptions regularly. As Dr. Beagle also says, we know too much to be silent, and I want to make sure if the tables were turned, I would trust someone like me.